Hello and welcome to episode 158 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, good to see you again, as always, my friend. Uh, how's everything going? How's Chicago treating you? How's the fam? How's the child? How's his, uh, how's his nose nose thing? You mean his stuffy nose? His stuffy yeah. runny nose? It's good. I sucked out all the mucus <laughs> with my mouth. What's that? What's that company that we need to sponsor? Frida, us? nose Frida, get at us. Frida, get at us. But yeah, the child is good. It's four degrees outside right now, according to the little weather widget on my computer. Cool. It's pretty bad. Pretty bad. I feel. I feel miserable because of this weather. Trying to stay warm. Trying to stay warm. Listeners, Dave is unfortunately out this week, but that's okay. It's even better. Even better than okay. It's better than okay. We have upgraded the highly contested third co-host seat with the return of our friend, Spider Space, a.k.a. Gabe. 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 Yeah, I mean, I clearly, I, I just can replace your co-host. That's how it works, right? He's out of here. I'm in here. You know, I, I, I think... This works because when I came on, I said ahoy hoy, and I'm pretty sure Stan, you also said ahoy hoy. He did. So it's it's just the case is closed. It's over. Gabe's out. Uh, Dave's out of here. We have we have someone who shares two of the four letters of their name. Uh, so it's going to work <laughs> out perfectly. Um, Gabe, thanks again uh, for joining us. Awesome to have you here for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gabe. I have a very important and pressing question. Mm-hmm. What's your go-to starting wordle? Oh, no. Yeah, we're a Wordle podcast now. I don't know if you read over the notes, but we're only talking Wordle strategy today. <laughs> I that, That's uh, top secret information. Uh, I've been using, I, I do like the first two words the same each time. Mm-hmm. And mm. I've been, yeah. I, so, okay. Oh, so you I don't play about, by the hard rules. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I like, I, I like care about it enough to where I'm like, ooh, I could min max this. And then I don't. Perfect. Right. So it's like I've thought about it and I know that I could change it. Like, so my initial one I was using, this is just from my brain, no, you know, the initial, the the, the intuition. I was, was using sugar. aisle and mount. And I don't know oh, why yeah. I was using cool. these words. But I then started thinking, about it. I was like, oh, I could use a do. That's way better than aisle. And I just have refused to do it. So interesting. Yeah. I think uh, so statistically, the best starting word is tears t-a-r-e-s statistically can't you do tears t-e-a-r-s no i think it's also because of letter positioning not only because of the letters jiminy jillikers i don't know man like i feel like there's different different theory behind this <laughs> i know I don't, I don't think i think computer like if you have a computer do it every time i think tears is the best but as a human okay it's kind of it's just just do sugar every every day and mm-hmm. then one day you'll get it in one like like Jason did today in our in our Discord. I, I prefer the Euclidean theory of wordle strategy. <laughs> it's not a spoiler because this won't go out for like two days. All right. That wraps up our wordle strategy for the week. On the rest of today's show, we are reacting to today's banned and restricted announcement. In fact, we held off recording this episode until Tuesday because we were determined to finally be on time with our scorching hot takes about the latest shakeups to occur in our favorite Magic the Gathering formats, the st- Standard and Alchemy. <laughs> Perfect. We, I'm glad we waited because we have some, we have some big open mouth reacts. <gasps> Gasp. Also, we're going to have a wind down for the first time in a long while because we wanted to reflect 
and really share our thoughts on the latest changes happening over at Star City Games in their content department. It's it's kind of a sad day, and hopefully Gabe will cheer us up. He is the funniest person in Magic, and he's got jokes. But first, some <laughs> housekeeping. This is a tall order. I, I, I think I might need to leave. <laughs> Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Alex C., also, we got a couple of new reviews from Hot Dog Nine One One and B Raku Seven. <laughs> hot dog, hot dog emergencies are definitely the biggest emergencies. Yeah, I like that Hot Dog called us a splendid pod and told us to keep it spicy. <laughs> hot dog relevant. And uh, we are uh, brought to you, of course, by the Patreon that Stan mentioned. We have a new uh, patron this week, Alex C. Thanks for becoming a citizen of the nation. If you want to join the Dive Down Nation, get your passport stamped across the border into the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord, get some swag sent your way. Uh, $5 and up patrons get the episode early. $8 gets you into the playmat tier for if you're there just for a few weeks. Uh, 50, 15 bucks a week, which is obscene, of course. But we have people who do that. And you can work with us on an episode topic uh, of your choosing that we develop an episode together on. So head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. Help keep us going. And if you don't want to support us, if you want to support somebody else in these trying times for content creators, please feel free. Uh, We appreciate everyone who supports us, but there's plenty of creators out there and feel free to uh, spend your hard-earned cash on them as well. That's right. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Traders account. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022, get 15% off your first two months of a Mana Traders subscription. We are also, of course... Brought to you by our latest sponsor, Barrister and Man, creator of fine grooming products like soaps, like shaving soaps, like shaving balms, like fragrances, all sorts of awesome stuff that is easy on the pocketbook, great on the eyes, great on your skin. Uh, what's awesome about this is that I shave a lot more. So I'm sure people at work are happy because I don't look so scruffy where I was like doing like once a week, maybe maybe twice a week. And now I'm like looking forward to it. It's kind of annoying where I have to like get up like 10 minutes earlier, but that, you know, you don't get that self-care time back. So if you want to check out the awesome wares of our citizen of the nation, Will, who is the owner and operator of Barrister and Man, head on over to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N and Coupon code the dive down 2022 gets you 15% off your first order. Thanks again, Will, and everyone who's been getting stuff from Barrister and Man. I'm looking forward to the next care package. I hear one is on the way, and I am hyped to try some, some new stuff. So check it out. All right, with all that out of the way, let's hop right into the breakdown where we are going to reflect on Tuesday's banned and restricted announcement. Really quite a saga There was a lot of anticipation ahead of this BNR, in part because last Thursday, during a usual weekly, well, it's technically called a daily MTG stream featuring Blake and Gavin, the duo confirmed that there was going to be a formal BNR announcement on Tuesday, which would impact multiple formats. And at the time, no other details were given. So naturally, the crowd went wild with speculation. Gabe, did you have speculation? Did did you have any preconceived notions or expectations before we actually talk about what they announced with us for I mean, us today? First of all, that's what happens every time there's a BNR announcement. Yes. <laughs> Second of all, uh, I expected no changes in modern. 
Uh, I thought if there were going to be any, it would be something companion related. Unclear if that was going to be Luris or if that was going to be just like scrap all the companions. Um, it seems real weird either way because I feel like just banning Luris doesn't do enough for the format. And you just kind of like leave other companions like four color control things as one of the best decks with the companions. It feels weird to do that. But I feel like if they just banned all of them after they've already errated all of them, that's also weird. So I just, it's also, the format's also just fine and has been, I mean, I think most people think it's good right now. Yeah. And that was the sentiment that I was listening to on a lot of other magic podcasts that did not wait until Tuesday to record. (laughs) A lot of it was (laughs) modern's pretty good. If anything were to happen, you know, as LSV put it, I'd like to see what the format looks like without Luris. But people were pretty reticent to say that something needs to go. I mean, I did hear some, you know, the inf- the inflammatory voice of Saffron Olive. That's sarcasm, by the way. Seth is a very chill uh, friend out there. But, you know, they were saying on MTG, Goldfish Pod, they were kind of like, I'd love to see Ragavan go. I'd love to see Urza Saga go. Uh, I'd love to see Luris go. And I, I don't think those are super rare comments um it's not i don't share that sentiment but yeah i mean the thing is is the moment you ban one of these cards you have to ban a bunch of cards it's like like whack-a-mole exactly the power level has been raised so it's like oh like we need to get rid of fury and solitude and cascade and teferi and ragavan and urza and it's like the the list is it's just huge so we have three stooges syndrome right now or or it's just like all the viruses in the door yes exactly the simpsons (laughs) Yeah, you know, before we really get into the the actual announcement or lack thereof today, there was a little bit of precedent that friend of the show Dom Harvey had tweeted about, which is that the modern ban list has in fact changed every January slash February since 2013. And thinking about it through that lens ahead of the announcement, I thought, you know, maybe once a year annual look into the format and, and clean up a little prickly thorns here or there could be a good thing. And whether or not R&D agreed, I think we're about to talk about right now. As you know, the news came out. No changes were done to modern. Yeah. Just kind of when people were refreshing, uh, was it yesterday morning? This morning? Was it this morning? Tuesday morning. (laughs) Today, Tuesday? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So this morning. And then it was just kind of like when nothing happened, I was almost a little bit disappointed. I just wanted something to change. I just wanted to. I just wanted to feel something, <laughs> feel something a little bit different. I wanted to have a reaction to something, and I guess we can have a reaction to nothing, right? It's about the same. Shane was disappointed. Gabe, were you basically relieved? Your your expectations confirmed. I, to be honest, I don't know that I have much of an emotional response. It was like, yup, mm-hmm. yep, <laughs> moving on. Uh, I mean, it's it's fine. I, I think. This is probably the right move. I, I do think that they will eventually do something to companions, uh, just in general. I, I don't know if that specifically means Luris and Modern, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, all the power level raises with the Modern Horizons formats, like formats, just more and more powerful. Like you don't get to get rid of Fury because it it kills your pet deck, like it killed mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, um. Good a time as any to ask, but how do you think they would change companions? Would they change the tax again? Would they simply eliminate the companion 
idea and just make it like a main deck card like what do you think is the uh i mean i mean i don't even know if it needs a solution but the best solution in your mind or ones that you think would be options i don't even know that i mean doing a second errata seems real weird i i don't really like that I, I feel like if you're going to do anything along those lines, it's just ban the companion mechanic, meaning you could still play the cards in your main deck if you so chose, which, I mean, nobody would ever play any of them, I don't think. But you could. <laughs> For sure. I kind of feel like banning the companion mechanic outright wouldn't be wholly different from them banning all the artifact basic lands, where it's just here's a swath of cards, this little package that we released all at the same time, and we've decided that they just don't belong in the format. And in that regard, you could argue that, you know, there's some precedent in banning a mechanic, so to speak. Even though eventually, 10 years later, they found a way to fix basic lands by, or artifact lands by making them t- enter tapped. Coming to play tapped. Yeah. <laughs> but also have indestructible. It's even better. That's right. What about you, Stan? How are you feeling about this? We didn't really talk about this because we like to try to save some fresh content for the app. So how are you feeling? Yeah. So my initial reaction was both not surprised, but also a tinge of disappointment because I too would have liked to see a format without Luris because I think that card really defines the format's identity right now, where it's kind of like the Luris decks and then the non-Luris decks, more so than the Urian decks and I don't think any of the other companions really define the decks that they're in, really. I mean, they certainly are a big part of the Blink decks, I would say. I don't know how inherent they are to like their their main game plan, but I feel like it's it certainly adds to the Blink strategy, right? They can, yes. And I think Yorian being a white card is really important for Solitude, Solitude stuff. Yeah. But I just don't feel like Yorian really sucks the air out of the room in the way that Luris does, because I think Luris really encourages decks to be leaner and more concise yeah. and more lower to the ground, and Yorian kind of forces you to play as many playable cards as you can and sacrifice a little bit of consistency for that. Asking both of you all at this point, though, like, do you think that the increased efficiency of Modern, like, Luris isn't what's driving down average cmcs of permanence it's just the fact that that is the natural evolution of the format especially with the horizon sets like do you think that more higher cmc permanents would see play if not for luris yeah i i think there actually is a difference i mean you have other permanents that technically cost more but don't actually cost more good examples are the elementals where you know you can pay five for your fury but you can also just play it for free uh, the other great example is a card like Murktide, so any of these Delve cards that, you know, if you, if you banned Luris Grixis Shadow, which is immediately like, all right, we're playing Murktide, right? Like, that that's that's what would happen. Um, so They're I mean, a new Gurmag Angler. Right, exactly. So they, they would make decisions, but for cards that actually fully cost three or more, every single time you look at one of them, particularly permanents, but in general, you really have to think about it like, Man, this card has to be. It has to set such a high bar. Like, like the Fairy Time Raveler passes that test, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of cards that you want to, but they just don't. Yeah, I think also mana requirements can factor into that somewhat. Uh, thinking about the is it Murktide deck in particular, one of the reasons why they play Murktide over. Luris there is also because you get a cleaner mana base and you can play Blood Moon sometimes and you can just be straight is it without having to worry about potentially being vulnerable to Blood Moon the way GDS is and also 
potentially just having fewer mana problems altogether because like you can fetch more basics. I kind of think those decks are, I mean, the way that they play is very, very similar, right? So it's like, that's the, the question between them is, hey, is largely Murktide and also maybe Blood Moon, is that worth it or not? And obviously people don't agree. Yeah. So we're not really going to get into too much detail on the, the nature of the BNR because it primarily dealt with legacy, standard, uh, historic. I guess we're getting back some of our wild cards and they're <laughs> we, uh, putting Teferi back into the format. Yeah, it's uh, Tefori, the very famous uh, Planeswalker. Tefori is now uh, in historic. They slightly tweaked some of his text and loyalty, I think, primarily, and mana value. So now it's what? Two generic white blue instead of one generic white blue. Well, if you're still playing historic, maybe you'll see that. Um, but we, I think we're taking a little break from historic lately as uh, alchemy style cards settle in and the meta game settles in. So, yeah. but yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, no modern changes this time. It's probably for the best, but not for us as content creators, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps not. And even though there weren't any changes to modern and really no mention of modern in the BNR announcement, a few hours later, Aaron Forsyth chimed in on Twitter and basically wrote, and I quote, The data and sentiment around modern all pointed to leaving it alone. There are definitely, quote, best cards, but nothing worth addressing, and that's a good thing. When asked why there was no mention of modern within the BNR, Aaron followed up that no format is problem-free, but listing the perceived problems doesn't really accomplish much. So yeah, I mean, I think that this is a fair statement, right? This is what we were saying before. A lot of the community sentiment is that modern's pretty great, that yeah, it's sometimes like playing Modern Horizons 2 set constructed. I know Carolyn said that in our last bonus episode, that it's sort of, you know, MH2 set block constructed, not necessarily the greatest thing, but it's there's enough really good things going on that you can play a pretty interesting deck and probably have some fun. And agree with that i think mostly where it's like hey there's a lot of really powerful things and it makes modern feel perhaps a little bit faster maybe feel like you need to base your game plans around a a certain set of pillars that are different than the pillars of a year ago and two years ago but you know largely it's it's healthy and i think we see the natural evolution of the metagame as we've seen over the past what eight months since horizons 2 where we've seen certain decks be at the top for a while and get pushed out i think we'll talk about this in later in the breakdown where even Hammer is seeing a bit of dip in popularity and power, and the rise of the four-color blink decks and other styles of decks are what's currently going on. And I think that that indicates a pretty healthy format where there's there is ebb and flow of our of our tier one. What what and Spider, you play more modern than both of us, I'm sure. So what is your what's your take on this? What is your sentiment on the health of modern? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people really like it. Um, you're totally right. There's been a, a change in decks. I actually can understand why someone might not like it. And I actually say that as someone who I, I kind of wasn't enjoying myself for a little while there. I, I had stopped playing for, I mean, almost a, a month or something, or it was just like, I just didn't have interest. I felt like, I, you know, I, I like to brew decks and every deck was just like, oh, I'm in this color immediately, you know, put X, you know, great card in that color in the deck. So it's like, if you're in red, it's immediately Ragavan DRC or Fury, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that kind of killed my want to brew because if I didn't do that, it was like, well, I'm just not going to win. 
And then on top of that, you know, pet decks of like, you know, a deck like taxes or something, or it just feels like, you know, even, which is crazy to me because that, that deck got a lot of tools from these sets and you would think like, hey, it should be fine, but you end up feeling like, eh, this is like a worse version of something else. So the format's certainly healthy, but there are decks that have been pushed out, styles that have been pushed out. Like, I, I don't think if you seriously wanted to compete, you could play any Aether Vile deck, for instance. Um, and then those things, you know, like that, that causes players to not always enjoy the game. During that month off from modern or so that you just mentioned, did you play other magic formats or were you just focused on other stuff? I tried a little bit of legacy and I realized a lot of the things that I liked or that I wasn't liking about modern were the exact same things that were happening in legacy. I looked at pioneer a little bit and realized that I still don't really like it. (laughs) Um, and then Been I there a little of, bit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm just going to like not play magic for a bit. No, there is one interesting thing about the discourse surrounding modern right now that Aaron, I think actually addressed here where he talks about the sentiment surrounding modern. Hasn't it felt a little bit like modern players talk out of both sides of their mouth when they refer to how diverse and healthy the format is and how it's some of the most fun that they've had in a while, but also Eh, we'd kind of maybe want Luris gone and and maybe the companions are a bit too much and MH2 block constructed is a little, you know, overbearing on all other potential creativity. And I can relate to that feeling, but I can't exactly explain or understand it. Like, on the one hand, the gameplay, I generally enjoy it with the decks that I enjoy, but I also feel that, like, kind of just sick of Luris. We've been dealing with Luris decks, an ever-growing number of Luris decks since the card's been printed and had to be nerfed. How long can Modern really sustain itself in this position where it's kind of like walking this tightrope where things are seemingly okay and and, and are fun in, in some doses, but at the same time, like it feels that we could just go over the tipping point at, tipping point at any mo- point because of this one card and one mechanic, and or maybe even this entire MH2 set. It's kind of felt that way to me for a very long time where there's often, you know, maybe it wasn't always Luris. It certainly wasn't, but there was always like a, oh, I'm sick of playing against whatever. So maybe, you know, it used to be twin, right? Like that deck won tournament after tournament after tournament. And then it was like, when is this thing going to get out of here? But people love playing it. It's, you're totally right. And I think people are even justified in saying that. But at the same time, how can you come in there and say, oh, I really want an interactive format. I, that, that's what I love. I love interacting. And then you you jump in a league, jump in whatever you're, you're playing, and you get crushed by GDS over and over. And you're like, man, that this deck is just, it, it's ridiculous. It's like, well, guess what? They interacted with you from the very start of the game, and you just got crushed, and you're tired of being interacted with. <laughs> Interaction stinks, except when it's good and fun and goes both ways. I mean, there, there have been some people posting some data as well, like about I don't know exactly where they pulled up win rates and things like that, but I think that companion decks didn't have appreciably greater win rates or maybe even representation in uh, the data that was at hand. So I think that that's not anything that people have been really leaning on. Like I don't think people have been saying companion decks are too good, and I don't really want to get in the weeds on like should companions be banned, blah blah blah. But I think it's what you were saying, Stan, where it's like it'd be fun perhaps to not have to lean on a potential crutch of Luris and open up possibilities a little bit. And we we talked about this in in our 
you know, potential like what five cards you want banned like a few months ago episode. And so I'm not going to rehash all that, but that's kind of one thing that I think about is like, sure, it's probably fine in terms of win rates, in terms of stats, but is it fine in terms of something they said before, which is we want to make formats fun. I, I mean, that's so subjective. It, it's right. really hard to, to nail that. I, like building Yorion decks was so much fun to me. I had a blast trying to figure out what was correct and if that was better than the traditional 60 card decks. I know very recently people were having a blast playing Lutri decks and actually finding that there was a semi-decent Lutri build. Like, there, there's a lot of fun that's baked into those things, into those restrictions and figuring them out. All right. I want to look at the second Forsyth tweet real quick where he wrote, no format is problem-free and listing the perceived problems doesn't really accomplish much in response to why they didn't mention modern at all in the BNR. And I bring it up just to say that personally, with respect, I kind of feel like Aaron overstepped a little bit here because a lot of people, myself included, frequently would talk about how much we would appreciate and maybe even as competitors benefit from having a little bit of format transparency into what R&D is keeping an eye on, what they want out of modern, and, and, and really the type of gameplay that they seem to prefer that modern maintains. And then when we look at, as a juxtaposition, the popper banning from last week and, and the care and consideration and thoughtfulness that Gavin provided into every single card that made the list, everything else that they considered, and why they're making these decisions for the popper format. It just seems like we have two sides of Watsi a little bit at odds with one another. And as modern players, we're not really getting the beneficial side of that relationship. Did anyone else feel like maybe even a little disappointed by just the tone of that tweet, how it maybe sort of brushes off any notion that we'll get that kind of transparency from, from R and D. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like being able to see the data. I think the more data, the better, but I mean, they, they used to even sometimes post about stuff like that, right? Like there'd be a BNR and be like, uh, format seems healthy. We're keeping an eye on X and, and, and knowing that they're just aware of those things of like, you know, we are all talking about, Oh, it's probably Luris. Luris should do something. Just l- letting us know we're keeping an eye on Luris. I, I feel like you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief of, yeah, they know what's going on. Shane, how'd you feel about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the main thing here is that Aaron felt c- compelled or able to make some statements about his, his feelings and perhaps their feelings on modern. And, and, and maybe it's like, he's saying things that aren't exactly the company line or kind of just, uh, you know, the result of many more nuanced conversations over a much longer period of time. But I, I agree with what you were saying, Gabe, which is like, it's nice to have a statement. And you said this too, Stan, of course, which is it's nice to have some statement about, we know what's going on. Like we, we have stats, you know, Luris based decks aren't winning over 55% of their non-mirror <laughs> matchups, et cetera, et cetera. Where it's like, okay, we know that you have a larger pool of data than we do. We know that you're able to track these things and they have seemed so reticent to talk numbers by and large, uh, when it comes to metagame and win rates and things like that, that keeping those cards close to their chest just allows people to continue to wonder and have doubts. 
And I think the, the more data you can provide and the more conclusive you can be about why you're making certain decisions or not making certain decisions is, is going to be good for community sentiment. And it's almost like, let's, let's look at the, that old pioneer announcement that we talked about where it's like they finally banned the um, inverter and they got that out of there and they made a bunch of other changes. And like, they were like, we want the format to be fun. Whether or not these win rates were bad, people were complaining enough that we responded to it to make it more fun for you all. For you all, so you better have fun. And and this is not that, and I don't think it needs to be that. And I, but I don't want it to be. Well, if we yell loud enough, are they going to address companions? If people complain on Twitter enough, like where is the where does the fun idea even come from in the first place? And like you said, Gabe. That's a subjective thing that they can't get really good data on. Yeah. I mean, the tournaments are firing, and we can't necessarily say that about all the other formats. But hey, if the magic, the gathering online hamster wheel of money keeps turning, the format's A-OK. All right. There's one last Aaron tweet I, I think we need to address. When asked about possible unbannings, especially for Splinter Twin and Birthing Pod, Aaron replied, we talk about Twin regularly. He also said, Pod is not going to go back to being a charming toolbox deck. There exists sufficient combo pieces in the format now that activating it once would always threaten to end the game. This is so confusing to me. So Pod is a bridge too far, Twin maybe not, or they just understand that if they ever unban Pod, like it's just going to be a very different deck than it used to be in the past, or it's just going to be like a I, I win combo deck because I've managed to activate Pod one time. Is it worth reading into this until we get additional context? Is there any hope that they're going to unban either of these cards? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like there's not any hope for for Pod. But yeah, I mean, people are going to talk about Twin and think about Twin being unbanned for the rest of the modern's future, right? Um, and at some point, it'll become... Uh, this is something we were talking about earlier today, Stan, is like some point, I think it's just going to be like a Jace the Mind Sculptor or a Bloodbraid Elf level card where it's like, eh, we think Modern is fast enough and powerful enough that even Twin is not going to mess things up too much. And the first two deck dumps are going to have... Uh, well, they won't because every list will be really close, but they'll, you'll, see t- you'll see Twin five times a league and then in a couple of weeks, people will be like, eh, it's not that great. And then they'll go on their way, and it'll be something you see now and then. I don't know if that's actual factual, but it's something that I can imagine where there's like, yeah, we're keeping an eye on Twin until we think it's safe. Gabe, did you play in those eras, the Twin and Pod eras of modern? I did. I did. Care to weigh in on, on their possible future in the format or whether or not they belong in modern? Oh, I wouldn't touch either one of them. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't put any stock into that tweet like i i I read that and just like i i wish i hadn't uh i don't know i i don't think that pod is necessarily that much worse than twin it doesn't seem like it would be and i know there's been some discussion of like is is twin even better than than blue red murktide and like you know I, i don't have data to support that I would say, though, that both of these cards at least have the potential to be top tier strategies. And I I don't know that those are the kind of cards that you usually want to unban. Like even if it's a top tier strategy, that's okay. That that seems pretty risky to me. Yeah, I, I think my explanation for these things is like 
twin, while not requiring artifact interaction, certainly has, I think, I mean, excuse me, pod. It seems like it would more heavily require artifact interaction for kind of getting getting rid of it or stopping what's going on. And Twin, while it has plenty of tools against this, I think that creature-based interaction can be pretty darn good. But the, the false tempo gained by Twin is just certainly annoying and a frustrating play pattern, especially with the addition of tools that Twin didn't have, like Teferi 3, um, Force of Negation, while not doing a, potentially a lot, still is a tool that can be used against you know, opponents, when they're tr- when they're trying to protect their combo or things like that, so I think that Twin has w- more tools to stop it, but only a few more I think than stopping Pod. But they're still doing effectively the same things, right? They're 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 going off pretty quickly. They're pretty conclusive wins by and large. All right, so I think we're all kind of fine with this. I think that the Reading into the Forsyth tea leaves perhaps a little bit too much is, is potentially dangerous, but we, we got to the point where I think we're, we're still going to wait and see. Uh, hopefully the metagame of Modern continues to be cyclical, continue to bring new decks to the top and have m- metagame opportunities, but we have to have a little bit of uh, you know pontification, a little bit of uh, just creative juices flowing on what do you think in terms of fun? Let's talk fun here, okay? Not just safe or not just okay for the metagame. Is there anything you'd want to unban for fun? And, and Gabe, I'm going to start with you because you're our guest. I, I have three things. And <laughs> My man. The, the, the first two, I think I would immediately not have fun with after about a day. <laughs> and that would be Punishing Fire and Umazawa's Jit. I think Punishing Fire, I would have a lot of fun the first day, maybe even the first week of just, ah, kill your thing, bring it back, kill your thing again. I, I, uh-huh. I would be having a heyday, <laughs> and then other people would do it back to me, and then I would be having a Punishing Fire mirror, and I would hate everything, and I would realize this is really not fun. Uh, Umazawa's Jit, I would be really excited about just you know, put it in my Stoneforge decks and that'd be really cool. And then I realized that Hammer would play it and it's a Stoneforge <laughs> and Luris card. You can have an Alluris deck and then you're going to have Hammer Mirrors revolving around Jit, which just like... Mm-hmm. This is like your purge situation. Then just let these things out for like 24 hours, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, the last one, I actually think this could be pretty fun, which is Glimpse of Nature. I think... Uh, just given a, a good old creature deck, old fashioned, you know, just elves, just get in there, draw your cards, play your creatures. Who, who doesn't like drawing cards and playing creatures? I, I love those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the two best things about magic is creatures and card draw. I think Jite is a good one. I, also, I've never heard it pronounced Jit. Oh no, that's a very popular pronunciation. I still don't know how it's actually pronounced. I've heard I've heard Jit and Jite, and even I think there's a third one that's like super rogue pronunciation. Jit with a soft <laughs> J. To be honest, I I will change which way I pronounce it every other time. Just walk the tightrope. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Stan? So I I, I love the GTA call. I mean, honestly, I want Mystic Sanctuary back. I think Mystic Sanctuary in a format with Ragavan is actually an interesting push and pull because Ragavan manipulates the top of your deck in the way that, that Sanctuary, they could potentially punish some of the Sanctuary decks. You're a madman. I know that was that and Fatal Looting were like the two cards when they were banned. I was a little heartbroken, though. I think Mystic Sanctuary should stick around. Faithless should stay on the banned list. The only other one I would add is Preordain. 
as long as we're talking about card draw, like I think preordain is safer than ponder at least. And you know, having a nice a nice blue cantrip, who's going to complain? It's not going to hurt anyone. Storm isn't going to be good again. <laughs> no, never. Could could we unban faithless faithless looting at this point? I don't know. I don't know. I think I I almost think we could. I almost think we could. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. You you might be able to, but I don't like the format is already fast and efficient and can be degenerate. And you're just like, hey, let's have more of that. Yeah, I want like, I want dredge in there. I want dredge having in. fun. <laughs> I mean, it still can't have fun, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I enjoyed this thought experiment. So um, good band talk. I'm glad. You know, we always I think we always keep our heads on pretty level when we talk about this stuff. So last question, I think to to bookend this section, the format's not changing. I'm going to keep playing modern. I'm, I'm assuming the two of you are too. This might even be a little bit of a transition into this next bucket, but I'm curious, is there anything on your radar that you want to play more of, explore of, that you feel like, well, if Luris is safe, now is a great opportunity to get really good at Hammer or something else, for instance. What, what are you doing next in modern, considering that the format is is perfectly balanced as all things should be? Don't know that I'm doing anything different than I am. I, I feel like the the meta has actually kind of settled, wherein I, I, I think uh, four color control is very good, but I I would probably put it slightly below Hammer and GDS as the two best decks, and that's like right next to them as the third, and then there's like a big gap, and then there's the other stuff, uh, other stuff being like Yawgmoth, uh, Belcher, uh, Rhinos, etc. And any of those decks can be good, um, but they kind of ebb and flow. I've really been enjoying playing Creativity. That mm. deck got me to want to play Modern again, which is saying something. Uh, I, I, I don't. It, it's it's real weird. I, I feel like that card is really underplayed, and it surprises me because I would think people love combo control. See all the twin discourse. You think like I mean. I don't know, maybe you would argue, oh, it's not combo control, but it's combo control. Yeah. I don't have, I don't think I have a good, I want to do anything differently. I'm, I'm there with, with Gabe where it's like, I don't think that I was waiting for something to change to like make a decision on something I'm locking in on. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to keep sort of experimenting around, try to get better with Hammer. I actually, I'm, I'm continually curious about trying to figure out Murktide and learning like its play patterns because I think it's a good deck that'll be a good deck for a while. I don't think, unless Ragavan gets banned or something like that, which I doesn't seem super pop, doesn't seem like a popular idea um, besides some angry community members, including me sometimes. But <laughs> yeah, how about you, Stan? I think I might revisit Murktide again after, I mean, basically, I haven't played it since before that tournament in Vegas. And, you know, now that I'm working with Dom Harvey on coaching, I, I think having someone of his skill level can help me actually elevate my Murktide play after that plateaued a little bit. And, I, I mean, I did just play a, a Rhinos League. If there's time, I'll talk about it later. I still absolutely love it and i still think i i know how to play it well enough that if i ever feel like going at least three two in a league get my ticks back i always know that the horn dogs are there for me hey you're up like <laughs> 2.39 ticks damn Positive straight ev my friend <laughs> damn straight stand let's head on and gabe of course let's let's head on into the 
Saturday Modern Showcase Challenge, perhaps. To We haven't talked about Modern in, what, two or three weeks, I think? Maybe just two weeks? Because we talked about Pioneer last week with, uh, as you mentioned, our guest, Dom Harvey. Thanks again, Dom, for coming on. If you missed that episode, highly recommend listening to it, by the way. Dom is an amazing brain on all things magic, but especially right now, Pioneer. And he knocked out of the park as our guest, much like Gabe is doing this week. <laughs> so He's, Gabe still has plenty of time to, to punt this episode. That's a good point. All, all these high expectations. I'm ready. Just throw it in the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get your chance. So the modern showcase challenge, Gabe, you of all people would know the difference of this. I feel like is, is this one that just costs more? Does it, re- does is this is, this does not require QPs, right? To get into this, the showcase challenge. It does. Ah, okay. So this is one that you have to sort of earn your way into by grinding, just it's just grinding leagues, like just using QPs, right? Um, you can grind leagues. I think the best way to get them quickly is to play the preliminaries. So I hadn't been grinding very much, and I wanted to play this event, so I played a prelim the night before mm-hmm. and got the remaining points I needed. Nice, <sighs> nice humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I just spiked a prelim. It's just okay. Um, so. Our uh, silent partner, Bamzing, did, a, of course, their usual uh, metagame breakdown. We had 266 players, it looks like, in the Showcase Challenge. That is not too shabby in terms of competition. And as usual, we got the top 32 meta. So thanks again, Bamzing, for all that. Our top 32 meta looks like four copies of Four Color Blink gaining maybe further credentials as potentially the best deck in modern right now, at least over the past month or so, this seems to be perhaps the case. And then coming up just behind it with three copies, we have Grixis Death Shadow continuing its stint at the top of the heap as well, along with various versions of Mill. I believe there are Demir and Azorius Mills, uh, three copies, sneakily powerful deck. It did pretty well in our the meta review that we had two weeks, our meta review episode a couple weeks ago, uh, and it continues to do well here. It's not taking over like the metagame share on Goldfish, but I feel like we're always seeing a few copies in these top 32s lately. Then we have a couple copies each of longtime Modern Horizons 2 metagame staples. We have uh, Amulet Titan, Is It Murktide, Hammer Variants, and Jund Saga. Also, Indomitable Creativity, and Gabe's going to provide us some insight on that in a second. Hopefully, that's not a surprise. And then we have one of, of a number of decks. We've got Greentron, Borrowspurn, Footfalls, Yawgmoth, Boros brought back, other normal things you see all the time. Before we get into the, the top eight, any thoughts on kind of this overall metagame of the top 32 at least? Yeah, I, I think the four color blink thing is a little bit misleading. I, I think that that refers to a lot of things and it usually involves just a pile of good cards in four colors, but people build it very differently. And it, it's, I, I don't know, it's hard for me to call all of them the same thing. I, maybe they will homogenize as we find a quote unquote best build. Uh, I, I know there are people who really know what they're doing or working on it, like Canister. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me to, to call it four copies because I'm sure you could look at each one and I imagine they're fairly different from each other. For sure. Makes sense. Stan, any thoughts kind of on this? I feel like it's kind of 
like Gabe was saying, sort of a, a settled meta game. We have slight changes in our numbers, but nothing ridiculously new. Totally agree. I, I think this red white brought back deck is interesting. I saw Spike trophied a couple times with like red white stone blade. Yeah, I didn't see that here. I was looking for something of that because it seems like a deck that people would pick up on because you know, it gets a little spike bump. But yeah. I, I don't think I've seen it show up in the challenges yet. Actually, one interesting thing I noticed is Oops and Dredge being in there, and both of them are only one of copies. I think that obviously their matchup spread should be a little bit different, but it does feel like Graveyard Hate in general is at a low right now. So if you want to bust out your Graveyard deck, now might be the time. Reanimator. Here we go. Great. Great. But the the interesting thing about those two in particular is I think that they could have decent Grixis Death Shadow matchups that you're just going to have a hard time grinding through dredge stuff when you have unholy heats and thought seizes, right? Um, But at the same time, I think both of those decks are kind of bad into hammer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pre-MH2 times, I played a decent amount of hammer and it would just like queue into dredge. It was like, oh, this is free. and, And that was when the deck was worse than it is now. So um, I think maybe you're looking to dodge part of the metagame. It's sort of a weird ebb and flow. And I mean, that's often the case in modern meta where it's like you're, you're stuck between the rock and the hard place. You know, it used to be Uro and Prowess on either side, and now it's, you know, Hammer and GDS. Yeah. All right, let's get into that top eight. We'll start off with Marcus MPV on Amulet Titan. This build has two Cultivator Colossus main and a main deck Tireless Tracker, but otherwise looks pretty normal for a Titan deck. And second place, we have Spider Spasse on... Ooh, the Italian player? Yes, uh, five-color Creativity featuring Arcana Kill Cruelty. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. This is Spider Space. Is this Gabe? Gabe, are you Italian? No, it was Spider's Pace anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Playing at a Spider's Pace was was our own Gabe. So Gabe, tell us about this deck. Tell us about your experience playing the matchup. Yeah, what's it like finishing second in a tournament? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was actually a good change of pace because over the last year... I think every challenge that I sat down in that I didn't immediately drop, it was like, oh, fifth place, fifth place again, fifth place. And I, I don't I like I want to complain about fifth place, but I'm not allowed to. You're not supposed to complain about fifth place. Right. It's like, ah, I made top eight, but then I immediately lost. But now I didn't. And so the curse is broken and I'm very happy. It's interesting. This build of creativity is is my baby. Uh, there's a lot of different builds of creativity and among them are, I, I think this was sort of been viewed as the final evolution, which is the Emrakul plus Asera's Emissary build. We've also seen previous versions that had just Emrakul. We've had Primetime. We've had uh, the Lorehold Dragon, where you just take a bunch of extra turns with it. And a lot of these have fallen off because of MH2 cards, right? We have cards like solitude and uh, unholy heat which makes some of these worse um the reason that i particularly liked archon and not the series plus emrakul package was i really wanted to maximize for x equals one so being able to just spin on one and know what i'm getting is a huge deal i feel like with emrakul sarah's if you spin on one it might be great you might also get the wrong one and lose because of it 
Um, it's kind of a desperation play, or is that deck it's looking to do it on two? And I feel like once you open the whole like creativity for two thing can of worms, it's like I could do anything. I could I could play Mirror of Fate and Thassa's Oracle. Like it it doesn't like the game is over if I've done this for two, right? Like, are you ever beating two Archons? Like, is that happening? I don't I don't think so. Not like very very rarely are you beating two archons yeah you're gonna win already if you've if you found a way to beat two archons basically right and here you you can even do it for three if you want to be even more convincing uh (laughs) but um yeah I, i think this deck is just really underplayed you have a pile of really good control cards you've got this sort of pseudo combo finish um the thing that was keeping me from trying the Archon build because it was somewhere in the back of my head for a long time was that the fifth color of mana seemed like a lot. And that was part of the bonus of playing this is that you could actually hard cast it, whereas you're almost never hard casting like Emrakul, right? Um, and I was like, oh, the mana is just too bad. And I actually, it's it's funny because I mentioned this to Mana Symbol some time ago who noted creativity player and streamer. And he was like, oh, it's fine. The mana's fine. And then more recently, he was like, oh, the mana's terrible. You don't want to do this. But because he told me that the mana was fine, I was like, all right, I'm finally going to put in the time. And now I'm in the I think the mana's fine camp. Uh, it turns out Renin 6 just just does everything. It just yeah. your, your, your triomes and Renin 6 means that you can play a deck that requires four mountains on turn four and also have every other color in your deck. I've been calling it five color mono red. Wow. What a name. As far as why I've been playing it, I I feel like this deck is actually one of the few decks that I feel can go toe-to-toe with most of the rest of the format. Uh, Now, I don't know that you're necessarily like hugely favored in any of these matchups, but I've felt that I'm slightly favored against Grix's Death Shadow. I I think Hammer is very, very close. Uh, I also expected... bit of a resurgence of blue white control i feel like people have been kind of thinking like "Ooh, this maybe can i beat gds i don't know i want to mm-hmm. and in both chat the challenge and the showcase i did run into blue white players and absolutely crushed them with this uh i think that matchup is is very very good um i would say that the worst matchup for this is probably cascade stuff uh i feel like that generally has been pretty hard living in being the worst one i feel like rhinos is more beatable and I'm not sure where Glimpse Falls. I haven't played against that enough, although that was what I lost to in the top eight of the previous challenge with it. Teferi pulls a lot of weight, but the, the, those decks, I don't know, it's just you can be a little bit clunky and you don't always have the right thing at the right time. Sometimes you just play an Archon and they're like, Brazen Bar, or here's Rhinos, you're dead. What's the play pattern like in this compared to a Cascade deck, for instance, where you know Rhinos has a similar plan of like, I'll do a little bit of light control, and then I'll play my one card combo and then just hope my four fours get there. And then sometimes you can line it up where you're just going like cascade, cascades, cascade two or three turns in a row. Here you're doing a similar like control plan until you find your one card combo and then you go off with Archon. Is the control package the thing that makes this stand out compared to those cascade decks? Is it the fact that you can play like Counterspell or Remand or Spell Pierce and some of these like actual cheaper interactive cards. Does that make the the key difference? Basically, you get all of the best cheap interaction that you want. I, I mean, this deck is doing a lot of the same thing that the four color blink decks are doing, and that it's just playing 
a lot of the best cards. Now, obviously, I don't have the elementals, which is probably the biggest miss here in comparison to those. But, you know, turn to Ren, for instance, like on the play against a shadow deck is just like basically against most fair decks, turn to Ren on the play is just ridiculous. Like it's pinging your DRC, your Ragavan, your Mana Doric, your Esper Sentinel. Uh, if it's not doing that, I'm getting back my land. And then even if you remove it, like let's say I pinged your DRC and then you unholy heated it, great. If I got back a land and then you had to prismatic ending it, you've now tapped out and I got my land, great. Um, and then if you don't deal with it, it just ults. Uh, Teferi just beats like a bunch of the decks in the format. Like I keep wanting to go BTL into Tybalt because I miss Tybalt and I'm like, oh, they're just going to have a Teferi and I won't be able to do it. Um, it hits all the Cascade stuff. I mean, it Fire Ice is great. Prismatic ending is great. There's just like all the control. It, it's much more controlling than like Rhinos is. Um, it's less consistent in doing its like combo plan, though the, the payoff is arguably much I, I think it's better. Yeah. Last question. Is Renin Six the main reason you don't play just OG Counterspell? Yeah. Just because like supporting both blue blue on turn two and red green on turn two is just pushing your mana a little too far? Well, you want all of your lands to fetch a red source. So there's a a one planes and one island in the deck. Uh, I have keep wanting to cut the island and I keep not doing it. Uh, the, the the planes I think is is more important because of aggro stuff. Um, the island is only there because of Blood Moon, really, and yeah. you can play around it. It's I mean Blood Moon is certainly good against you, but um, having blue blue on turn two is really hard when both of them still have to be red, and you're trying to maximize for having a green, um, and you probably want the white for your prismatic like. I'm really greedy, but I'm not quite that greedy. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, Thanks. I'm, I'm happy to see you still putting up a fight. For sure. Awesome to see the you know, second place finish is dope. Next time we're expecting first, though, Gabe. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then right. you can have Shane's seat. Yeah, then you can just take over me. For me, um, I could use a break now and then. Uh, but let's keep rolling on this this top eight because we have so many awesome topics to discuss that I need, I need to open some doors for Stan to make fun of me later. So just be prepared for that. Third place, Aegis Aziz on Grixis Death Shadow featuring Luris. Fourth place, Morphlings underscore 17 on Grixis Death Shadow featuring Luris. Both of these lists are looking pretty stock at this point. Are these the exact same 75? I couldn't notice any quick differences paging between the two, but uh, if they're not, they're pretty darn close. We have fifth place, Discover N on Four Color Blink featuring Yorian. Sixth place, The Asian Kid on Demir Mill featuring Luris. Um, what's interesting for me is even back on Demir, and perhaps this has been the case for a while now, but this deck isn't running any main deck Demir Mill spells or Drown in the Lock or anything like that. It just is seems like it's splashing black for Fatal Push, having access to Luris, having access to some sideboard cards like Inquisition or Blood Chief's Thirst. But largely, it's a pretty heavy blue-based mill deck, much like the Azorius mill deck is just is pretty heavily in, in the, the blue area. Seventh place, Alan07 on Oops All Spells. Gabe, you mentioned this earlier. What is interesting is this deck has sort of been in hiding for so long 
that I'm going to explain how this deck works because essentially you resolve an Undercity Informer for two and a black and then pay one later perhaps to sacrifice a creature or you cast a Balustrade Spy for three and a black and get its ETB and both of those effects have target player reveal cards from the top of their library until a land card is revealed. Then you put those cards into uh, their graveyard. So what typically then happens is something like a Narcomoeba gets triggered, which then pulls out the three sort of the Meeks um, that you milled along for the ride. Because of course this deck runs no actual lands. That's kind of the, the secret, the secret sauce. You then can sacrifice those three sort of the Meeks to get your salvage Titan back out of the graveyard with its alternate casting cost. That then triggers your hopeful playset of Venge Vines because it's the second spell that you've cast that turn. You get those attacking for 16. What's a little bit weird here is try as hard as I might, I couldn't really figure out how this deck doesn't just deck itself. Um, like if, you, if you're dealing maybe 16 with four hasty Venge Vines on an empty board... It's still not enough, is it? Like nothing else I can see has haste. Um, and so if you're drawing no cards, uh, maybe I'm missing a way to get cards back into your library. Yeah, so there, there are several things about this. Uh, I want to know, it, this deck used to play cards like just one Nexus of Fate. And the reason that they didn't anymore is actually a very sneaky little inclusion of a newer card in Jack-O-Lantern. Yeah, yeah, what does this do? So those of you who don't know, Jack Lantern is a one-mana artifact, has one sack it, you can exile up to one card from a graveyard, draw a card. More importantly, it has one, exile it from your graveyard, and add a mana of any color. So this means you've milled your whole deck, you now have access to any color you want at any time, which enables you to play Memory's Journey from your graveyard just for a green, regardless of what mana you had in play. So even if my four Venge Vines that came back and four Creeping Chills didn't kill you, I can then go Memory's Journey on my upkeep, put Thassa's Oracle on top, and then win that way. Perfect. There it was. I, I just I must have scrolled past Memory's Journey, and that's perhaps the most important spell in the deck beyond Valistrate Spy and Underseating Informer, because it keeps you from dying. Do you have a sense for what the appeal of this is over just red-green Belcher? Yeah, it's I mean it's a little bit different um i think belcher can a little more uh, i think belcher can be a little bit more fast right like you can kill a little bit more quickly with belcher with all of your rituals but i actually think that this will consistently kill a little bit earlier because you have all of your mana rocks and you have balustrade and under city informer instead yeah. of having to go recross and then pass the turn this also importantly doesn't can't get hit by force of negation like in terms of your creature spells so because force of negation can counter non-creatures which would hit Gar goblin charbelcher i know it's not a huge part of the meta right now but that's another consideration i can think about um i think you mentioned phantasmagorian and not knowing when that one yeah i don't really i put that on the notes i don't really get phantasmagorian what am i doing with this card if i was picking up this deck yeah so again i think this card used to be more important specifically with uh the nexus of fate kind of thing here you're using it to put vengevine or your uh sword of the meeks into the graveyard to make sure you can do what you do additionally you can put the memories journey into your graveyard if you happen to draw it so that it costs one and not two 
Sweet. Cool. Cool deck. Uh, cool to see it back uh, in this top eight. And then last but not least, we have Burnt Taco 77 on good old Is It Murktide. It looks like four Archmage's Charm is kind of the thing now. There's no Force of Negation in the 75. Mildly surprises me. Maybe they felt like it was safe to try to dodge like Char Belcher, Char Belcher style decks. I don't know. I Cards just not really seeing that much play now. I, I think people are really valuing the whole like two for one aspect um, and just being more efficient. I, I, I don't know. It is strange. I, I feel like you don't see that almost anywhere anymore. I, I think part of that is just because four color takes up more of the metagame than blue white does these days. So you're really only worried about Teferi out of like one of the most popular decks. And that deck four color in particular just has more powerful things against you than Teferi specifically. Like you have to really worry about solitude dealing with your Murktide and, and they have Renin six and, and prismatic to deal with your one drops that I, I don't think force is the thing that's actually solving your problems. And your cheaper counter magic, like counter spell or spell pierce, is doing enough against the rest of the format. Even like decks like Belcher that are often just tapping out for like their non-creature spells, that uh, you're able to answer them without having to two for one yourself. At least that's my suspicion. Sweet. So there is our top eight. I will note I was talking about Hammer, seeming like it's in a little bit of a lull right now. The top finishing Hammer deck was in 19th place. It feels like people are finally apparently suppressing hammer a little bit as it's falling off. Gabe, what's your take here? Is this just a, a glitch of the matrix? Is it just a blip on the radar? Or is this kind of a trend because of the way that other people are building and playing their decks and what's popular in the meta right now? I think there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, number one is people claim that GDS has a good matchup against hammer. I think by good, it's probably like marginally good, but that is what people say. Uh, more importantly, I think Mill has like an actually really good matchup against Hammer, and we saw yeah, certainly three, does. Uh, copies in higher performing areas of the tournament. I also think Four Color is okay against it. Um, I mean, basically, the format is very ready for Hammer, and Hammer is still so good that even when you play against these things, it's like you can still just win. But I think there's enough going on here that it doesn't surprise me that it's in the, the lower segment. I mean, even uh, is that Merktide here, you mentioned the four Archmage's Charm, that card helps against Hammer. It's there probably in part because of it, also because of GDS. So you're, you're kind of getting hit splash hate a little bit there. Sure. Um, I got a one cool deck ink. Stan, you mentioned this Boros brought back deck in 11th place. Uh, Milliken was the player. And it looks like kind of like it's a mid-range style red-white value deck but it gets value through ephemerate and through brought back and showdown of the skulls so these are showdown of the skulls of course is a four mana value card uh brought back is also not super cheap and so what this deck is i think trying to do is prevent enough sort of taxation and interaction in terms of things like esper sentinel and Fury and Solitude as kind of some elemental options. But then we also have uh, Ephemerate, of course, is just great value for lots of creatures in this deck from Fury and Solitude, but Ranger Captain of Eos, even Thraben Inspector in, in a pinch is something you can target to get that clue. Uh, Broughtback is white, white, instant, 
choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. Return them to the battlefield tapped. You know what that hits? It's a lot of things. It hits your Furies if they're evoked. It hits your Solitudes if they're evoked. It hits your Ranger Captain of Eos if you sacrificed it for the Silence effect. Uh, it hits your Walking Ballista. No, it doesn't hit your Walking Ballista because it has to come back with uh, as we cast for an X value. But there's all sorts of cool things you can do with these combination of cards. It has some Cleansing Wildfire. I think just to sort of uh, of a value thing against your opponent, but also because this deck runs four flagstones of Trocare. So a lot of options here to kind of be annoying to the opponent and then take over with some endgame value. Showdown of the Skulls, two red-white, you know, exiles four cards from your library. You can play those cards until the end of your next turn. And then it also helps you kind of build up your board to be large enough on the second and third chapter, because whenever you cast a spell, you put a 1-1 counter on a target creature you control. That can be good just for getting your Fury up to be a huge double striker, or your Solitude to be a large lifelinker, or even put counters on your Walking Ballista to maybe do some endgame damage when needed with uh, removing a counter to, to, pling, to ping somebody or another creature. It's a lot of options. It uh, looks like a pretty fun deck. Right on. It's been around for a little bit. Um, I, I do want to note, I think the most important brought back target is the one you actually skipped, which is just your fetch lands. Oh yeah. Fixing mana, you know, keeping, keeping your, your lands flowing can, can certainly be good. Shane is a known uh, hater of, of lands and resources in general. Yeah. I prefer to <laughs> run as, you know, if I can run maybe 14, I'm, I'm good with that. Just give me, give me a clean turbo Xerox deck. No, it's not true. Cool. Yeah, but thanks for pointing that out, Gabe. I think this is a, it's a sweet list. And yeah, it's it's not not the newest thing on the block, but it's it's cool to see it finishing this high. And I think that it's a strategy that certain people are going to like. But cool breakdown. Good uh, investigation into a few uh, newsworthy things. The most important, of course, being Gabe's second place finish. Is this our longest breakdown ever? We're, we clocked in <sighs> over good. an hour. I mean, in terms of having an episode that's not all breakdown, I think it yeah. might be. So let's, let's, let's take a quick break. I, I'm parched. So we'll take a we'll take a quick 30 seconds and then we'll be right back with you. So stay with us. All right, Shane, I hope you got something to drink because you're gonna have a lot to say during <laughs> oh, no. this dive down. I've already spoken way too much. You know, after having the longest breakdown ever, we're probably just going to end up having the shortest dive down of them all because we do want to make a little bit of time for a wind down section after this. Story get loose. But, you know, we mentioned up top that we're recording this on Tuesday. We didn't know what was going to happen in the BNR. We did have a tentatively titled section called Go Off Kings in the event that we were going to be disappointed <laughs> with the news. And we figured as a plan B, we should at least just... Play some magic so we'd have something to talk about, just check yeah. in with ourselves. It's actually, and play one the another. game we talk about. That's right. Not all podcasts do that, <laughs> the, the good ones do. Not pointing fingers, Mistress Babble. <laughs> yeah, we, none of us play any magic. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So, Spider, you ran super hot in the modern challenge. I guess you spiked a prelim, you've been top eighting very casually. What does it take to be good with a new deck that you just picked up two weeks ago? You're like already crushing. Is it just that you talked to Zach, Mana Symbol Ryle, and he gave you all the secrets? Like, what can we learn from your successes as the casual spikes? 
trying to just muster up the courage to even play a modern challenge. Well, so the thing that Zach did was tell me that 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 version was bad and that I couldn't do it. And then I just out of spite had to do it. And he understood this very well because after the challenge, I, I was in his stream and I was letting him know. I was like, all right, like I'm going to put I, th- this version's on top right now. And I'm going to make sure it stays on top. And he was like, you can't, you can't do that. You don't know you'll win tournaments. And I was like, watch me. And then I got second. So it, it I guess just being mad goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's floating on a buoy, I think in the Caribbean right now, mm-hmm. just like waving his hands, trying to get noticed by boats passing by. So <laughs> he can't even like compete with you right now. I hope that he's on a real, real cruise line. What, what instruments? Does he play, or does he play a variety? Is he like a one-man band? No, he's the drummer. Oh, I get, oh, the cymbal. I get it now. It's all coming mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Someone did not listen to my bonus interview with, with Zach. That was so long a ago. Couple months ago. My gosh. <laughs> but, I mean, I would just say, you know, don't be afraid to 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 dive in there. I I feel like there's no better way to get better at magic than, than just jumping in. And frankly, MTGO is a, is a great place to get better as a magic player. Um, it, you know, just understanding interactions. And even if you get crushed, you're, you're, you're playing against better players. I, 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 this is a problem with me. I have a very hard time being like, oh, like it's, it's baby steps. Like if I have to like teach my, you know, cousin's child chess or something, like they're just going to get annihilated. Like I'm, I'm not like, I, I have a very hard time like, oh. It's fine. It just goes forward too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, I mean, I know deconstructing personal successes can be hard, if not awkward. I'm curious though, does it help that you play a ton of modern so that even when you pick up a new deck, you both understand what your opponents are doing, right? Whatever deck they're on, just because how intimately you understand the format, but also it's easier once you play a lot of modern to pick up a new deck and, and maybe assess on the fly, like, Oh, this is the role I need to take in a given matchup. And these are the cards that are going to be most or least effective post board. Or do you think there's something else that kind of helped you lock into creativity, which has proven to be a successful deck in the hands of certain pilots, but it's not like it's dominating the format by any means and may or may not even be one of the top combo decks in the format. So, you know, any insights that you can give on how to just like, pick up a new deck and, and and maybe not throw away the 10 ticks of, of the first league you pilot with it. That's, yeah. that's what I want to hear. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. My knowing the format goes a long way, um, knowing what my opponents can do and knowing what I need to do. So, you know, you might think, oh, I really need to draw this card, right? Like, it doesn't mean I, I am no more likely to draw that card than anyone else but I'm going to prepare myself for that eventuality the best that I can. Right. So, you know, if it means that maybe I shocked so that I could crack my clue or something and I was like, Oh, I need to draw to fairy. So I cry. I grabbed a white land, right? Like these are things that you have to think about. And just, you always want to be thinking like, you know, what is, what is the best thing that I can be doing here? What is the best thing that my opponent can be doing and how can I counteract that? I've been seeing a lot of people actually, you know, my having gotten second, obviously people are trying to pick up the deck, trying to see if it's any good. I do think that that archetype is underplayed. 
but I've been seeing a lot of people say like, oh, this deck is terrible. Like they're, they're not having a good time with it. I know I, uh, I happened to, to watch, uh, Andrea Mangucci's video about the deck and he, he, he was not a fan. He did not like it. So it was like, oh, case closed. It's actually <laughs> bad. Um, but, and, you know, and obviously he's someone who, who is very good. Uh, but you have to know all those tiny edges, like just constantly, like, those are some of my favorite things in magic. This is why I, I like and still like taxes so much is just looking for all those tiny little edges that I can pick up that will ultimately result in match wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got Everos Evan to, to, to play the deck the other night and I think he was kind of having a, a down night and it was like, you know, he, he played the deck competently, but there was like three or four small decisions that he missed and each time it resulted in a match loss. I, I know he was like salty. I think he played against Rhinos and he needed to draw creativity. And I was like, oh, you should have cycled your veil when they played Shardless Agent, right? And then he like drew the next card after losing and it was creativity. And it was like, oh, like, you know, it's this tiny thing. But but there it is. Yeah, it's a good reminder about just like the razor edge of advantage that you can accrue in modern when all of your cards do 10 different things. When everything is a one-mana cryptic command. <laughs> you, you do mention, though, that you alluded to taxes. And, and earlier you had kind of talked about how your pet deck had sort of died. And I, I think you were referring to taxes there. Have you tried and failed to iterate on taxes in, a, in an MH2 metagame? Like, ha, have Esper Sentinel, Solitude, Prismatic Ending, are, are these not enough for a tax strategy to kind of keep it competitive so it's my opinion that the best build of death and taxes right now ends up looking like bad hammer time so you end up playing esper sentinel and you play urza saga and it's really weird because you, aether vial ends up looking a lot worse in the deck than it ever looked mm-hmm. and yeah you get cards like solitude um, but I don't know. I, I, I just feel like that version is a worse hammer time. I actually did do all right with it a while ago. I had like a Yoria. I think it, maybe it was 60 cards. Actually, I think it was a 60 card Oswald build that had Urza Saga and I got like 22nd or something in a challenge with it. And I mean, the, the difference between that deck and like creativity, you know, as much as you might talk me up here or something like i think creativity is a legitimately powerful strategy i think i got 22nd with taxes because i'm me i would not recommend that list like i i mean if you want to play taxes that's probably about the best that i've gotten it to but i mean and you know it's okay knowing that your deck is like a worse version of something else a lot of the time there's some nuance to it i know for a long time when humans is one of the best decks it was like uh taxes is just a worse humans and i'm like no it's not i, I don't believe and you know, that might have been largely true but there was at least some differences that i could see but i mean frankly like hammer can still even grind more than my yorion deck because they just you know like, oh here's my lurus right so I, I don't know. I mean, the, the deck has a lot of good cards. I'm not saying you can't 5-0 a league. Uh, you might be probably going to like 3-2 league or something. It is like, it hurts me to play the deck. I, I played it once on stream a while ago because I was missing. I was like, I, I want to play taxes. And I played against 
rhinos and that matchup, that kind of matchup used to be so, so free for taxes. You'd like, you know, there's a period, like I I lost a game against them where I went Esper Sentinel into Thalia into Archon, the the other Archon, Archon of Myria. Right, right. (laughs) And, and I lost that game. They just furied my board and then cascaded anyway. And it was like, you know, it's it's backbreaking. And you play against control, and I'm like, oh, I used to lean on on Aethervile. And then I'm like, turn one Aethervile, all right. And then they just immediately prismatic ending it. Um, you, you play against GDS, like Shadow used to be a great matchup for Taxes. I, I don't know if you remember that SCG event where Taxes won. It was back when, when Grix's Death Shadow was on top of the pile. I think it was Brian Koval who took down the event with Taxes. And like that, that, that reality is just so far gone. It's like my opponent plays a Ragavan. I play my Aether Vial. They hit me anyway. And then I like try to play a Thalia. They kill it. And then they play a, a, a expressive iteration. And now I'm, I'm down all these cards. I mean, you still have powerful things that you can do. Like Esper Sentinel into Thalia is great, but it's like Thalia is not very good anymore and i i don't know maybe esper sentinel is just the replacement thalia now um that feels horrible to say that by the way i don't know i think it, it would be different you know like if you're playing a format like legacy where there's a lot more spells and there's you know like yes fury is in that format uh and and pyrokinesis is in that format but they're not not everyone is main decking it right i don't know i don't know it it that, that feels bad to me. And then there's no, there's no creature deck that I can like, you can, there's no Aether Vial deck that you can hand to me that is going to feel like an actual, like reasonable option. I'm not even saying like top tier, like taxes, the majority of the time that I've played, it has not been top tier, but it, it's like not even tier two or three right now. Like it, it, it's like somewhere way down there. All right. You you heard the dive donation. Let's get, Gabe, an Aether Vial deck to feel alive again. <laughs> well, Gabe, uh, I'm feeling it for you. I, I, it's, it's. We've all had to adjust in this world of Horizons sets, and I, I'm sure when Horizons Three comes out, we'll all just have to readjust again and make new decks and play whatever's in our wheelhouse then. But Stan, speaking of Horizons decks, yeah, you, what have you been playing? You know what. I just dusted off Rhinos again. Oh, man. How was it? Basically just feels like my deck at this point. And it was good. Rhinos still go boom, boom. You know, what's interesting is I played a league where I only faced one companion deck. And the companion in question was Umori the Collector in Kinky Cord. <laughs> and everything else was like, it was kind of frustrating because at the start of every game now, like I just, or the, every match, I check to see whether or not my opponent has a companion. So I kind of try to think about what keepable hands are. And it's always like, no, no, no. And then it's just like, wow, I, I don't know what to keep. I guess I just mulligan to a Shardless agent or something. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got the free roll, got the burrito, which is really all that matters. After playing with Rhinos for the first time in at least a month, nice, I think. Nice, nice. I, I grabbed the the Rhinos deck that came in fifth in the Sunday challenge, which is the one that Canister won. It did not play main deck Blood Moons, which at this point seems like may have been just a brief fad in like December among the Rhinos players. But I really missed them. Like I just kind of feel like Rhinos should be a Blood Moon deck, 
even in game one, because I played against Amulet, I played against Tron. I feel like Blood Moon is really strong against Grixis Shadow as well. Gabe was talking about how it can be pretty problematic for creativity. I mean, if, if you can't make dwarves, what are you really doing? Nothing. Actually, I do have a question on rhinos. Have you, have you tried the, the Yule rhinos? Yes, I have. And I hated it. Well, why do you hate it? It was just because like it didn't perform as well? or It's weird because the math is on your side to draw a cascader and to draw f- fewer rhinos. But part of what makes rhinos so good is that in teamer colors, you have excellent sideboard cards. Even though you're, you know limited to only playing CMC three or higher. Like just knowing that you can reliably find an endurance or a force of vigor or a blood moon or something else, I think is something that gives rhinos a lot of punch post board. And it's really important to be able to like pivot into the most relevant control cards that you can. And Yorian decks, they just don't have that because the consistencies goes out the out the roof, out the window. I don't know what the phrase is. So I didn't love that. It is cool where sometimes you'll just like cheese out an Omnath and an Omnath will win you a game. But at that point, I don't think your Rhinos is the best Omnath deck. Just play a better Omnath deck if, if that's what you're going to count on. And, and the same is true for, for Solitude. Like it's just not the best Solitude deck either. And if you want to get the benefit of those two cards, don't put it into a combo strategy. Put it into like the control deck du jour. I, I could see that. I, the reason I asked is it just seemed like Grixis Shadow could be a tough matchup, and it seems like Solitude might help solve some of those issues, but maybe not. I, I will say, and maybe this is my own confirmation bias, but I feel like one of the reasons why I really liked Rhinos and keep going back to it is because I just mop the floor with Lurus decks, especially Shadow. Like, I'd rather play Shadow than Jund. And I, I think that Jund is the harder one of them just because Tarmogoyf can be such a problematic permanent to deal with. But, you know, Hammer can be a little bit of a coin flip depending on how good my interaction is. But Shadow just like, it, has, it can have a really hard time interacting with the combo angle of my deck. And Fire Ice is really good. Both sides of Fire Ice can be really good against them to just slow them down or pick off a couple of Ragavans and DRCs and two for one them that way. So... I, I'll be curious to hear if, like, maybe Doomwake feels differently, or maybe you know, other known Rhino players feel a little differently about the the Shadow matchup. But I just never feel like it's such a problem that I need to go that deep into the well. And, and Blood Moon, especially, just like they have such a hard time against Blood Moon if they don't have Ragavan out. That if I draw a Blood Moon, I can go like turn two Ice, turn three Blood Moon. I kind of feel like that's game a lot. So, what's your take on why there's so much less Rhinos? Like Rhinos was probably tier one or very close to it. It was, it was everywhere. And now I almost never see it. So what, what changed? Secretly bad deck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is um, the four color decks are actually really annoying, Hmm. especially, you know, a resolve to fairy can be really hard to beat. And you kind of just have to like get to turn five and double spell to bounce it to fairy and then cascade. And then if they Teferi again, they just like bounce your Rhino. You feel pretty far behind that regard. Um, Omnath will sometimes just accrue so much value that they don't need to block your Rhinos. They can just let your Rhinos connect if they have enough of a life total cushion that the Omnath alone will just claw them back. Hmm. And, you know, like Hammer being a coin flip, you just lose that coin flip probably a little over 50% of the time, especially if you don't draw any any interaction because like Hammer will just have like these busted starts that just will beat anyone. So 
I, I think Rhinos is very firmly tier two in the hands of the best players. Like they're going to win with it more often because you have to know how to manage your mana and your resources and, and kind of understand when Prismari command is a relevant card or not. But otherwise I think, I think Rhinos is better than some Shane's respect it. <laughs> oh, sure. So speaking of Shane, um, I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but remember how last week when we talked about Pioneer, I felt like I was I was riding pretty high. I was feeling pretty good about sort of the slightly mid range ish uh, mono mono red deck and winning some matches. And then I went to play the Mana Traders Pioneer series and I rattled off five straight match losses. I I won one game out of all of those. So I went o two one two o two o two o two. I then switched to. Uh, is it Phoenix? Because I was like, okay, so maybe is it Phoenix is just like the de facto sort of best deck with the most strategies against the meta. Uh, I immediately went uh, 03 with with is it Phoenix. I won, again won one game out of three matches, and I just felt really really bad. And I, I guess I should get in briefly in, into maybe like why I felt bad. And I think Pioneer has the potential, and this is perhaps why. We we talked about sort of the aggressive Boros deck as being uh, increasing in popularity and power level, mainly because of its maybe aggressive power level, right? And and so I felt like I was just getting taken over the top by other decks. Other decks were going over the top on me, right? And a mid range red deck is is not going to do well when that's happening. That's exactly what happened in Pioneer during like the chunky red meta. Is you know Niv. Was going over the top, and that's actually what went over the top of me twice. Was uh, these four or five color Niv to Light decks with Omnath and piles of uh, interaction and ways to get my my thing in the ice is off the board, or a resolved like if a Phoenix gets on the board, maybe it comes in for three damage, or it just gets exiled with uh, an exile based removal spell or something like that. And that was happening in a lot of cases where I just think that. Whether it's the food-based decks that can grind you out, or the Niv to Light decks, as I was talking about, or the combo decks that can just go over the top and don't really care what you're doing unless you're presenting a, a really good clock. I think what's interesting about Phoenix is, like, ostensibly you have a game plan that lets you become a control deck, and that works until it doesn't work, and then you sort of run out of counter spells, or like maybe maybe you get that test of talents in against like a, a Niv to Light style deck and they they cast Bring to Light and you test the talents it out of their deck, but they still have Niv. They still have Omnath. They still have plenty of ways to do more than you're doing with like your your pile of uh of cantrips. And so I mean I'm sure that you can't just pick up a deck like Phoenix and be awesome with it. But I certainly felt like it was not putting a clock on people and they were just being like, well, cool Phoenix is um, I have I have Omnath or I have Niv and a pile of cards drawn along for the ride or I have a lot of ways to just not really care about what you're doing with your flying three twos. When was the last time you played any Phoenix deck? Oh man, so long ago. It, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you know it's I felt like it was actually pretty hard to get Phoenixes in the graveyard with this deck because you don't have a lot of ways to discard from hand which is one of the issues like lightning axe, of course, but lightning axe, you have to have a, a target, right? Uh, Charter course is a good way to do it. But like 
expressive iteration, while an amazing card, and you know, it's of course doing good work in, in any deck it's gonna be in, it doesn't let me get a Phoenix in the graveyard. You know what I mean? Like pieces of the puzzle is a three mana card that uh, if everything's going okay and you're hitting your math that you're going to likely see a Phoenix in the yard. But then that's sort of mostly a setup unless it's a late game pieces. Then you have enough mana to cast a few more spells that you draw off the pieces of the puzzle, of course. Interestingly, the one of the games that I won was off of the back of Temporal Trespass, which was was pretty dope. It's just like, you know, even if you cast a thing in the ice and get a temporal trespass out late in the game, then you just untap and go off, right? Because you're like, hey, I have a whole another turn to to flip my thing and swing in and stuff like that. But I mean, largely, I think I'm I'm just telling the story to kind of level set and just be like, hey, look, uh, Pioneer, even though it has pretty powerful decks and seems like it's sort of bread and butter magic, there's still a ton of opportunities for you to be excellent. At, or not so excellent at a format like this. And even though it plays like uh, standard plus or the power level isn't quite as fast as modern, I think the same things can happen where it's like, you still have to have a game plan that makes sense in the meta. You still have to pick a deck that's going to fit your play style and also be good in the matchups that you're in. And that's just kind of what happens in a format that I think that indicates format health too, right? Which is like, Hey, there's over-the-top decks, there's late-game power-level decks that can got, be gotten under, there's decks that can potentially feast on those if those are more powerful, like maybe mid-range red or something like, is it Phoenix that has smaller creature interaction and just sort of takes over the mid-game? And uh, I think that I'm still interested in continuing to test out Pioneer, uh, but it's more just like, hey, Shane, just because you won like you know six matches out of your eight last time you were testing this format, you can just come back in in 08 the next time. Okay, loser. Kind of curious. You were talking about Phoenix. Uh, I actually got to play a little bit of this. Uh, there was a Pioneer Super a couple weeks ago, week week and a half ago, something like that. And then also with Mana Traders coming up, I was like, oh, I should I should play some Pioneer. I did a little bit of this with Everos, and I, I managed to get a, a six three in the Super with with phoenix and i was kind of like you i was like oh yeah yeah i i know what i'm doing here i'm i'm good and i tried to queue for mana traders and I, i'm still not queued i have only played phoenix and uh, i i feel like i think all of my losses have been to two decks in the boros agra deck and then the ascendancy deck and i was surprised to hear you not mention either one of those or maybe you did mention the boros one but not the uh yeah i just, the, I, just the said, I didn't go up against it thankfully i was just getting mopped up by everything else like just losing everything but that's you know some days chicken some days feathers and this was a feather day hmm. fair enough but we did want to spend some time talking about seg as we mentioned and so let's take a second break which we almost never do head on into the wind down and talk about the changes and alterations and cancellations of modern and magic content. So be right back. We are back. And as we mentioned, we wanted to talk about the this announcement today. Another reason I guess we're glad slash not so glad to have saved a recording till Tuesday. And 
you know, we never really talk about the wider goings on of magic. We don't like to talk about drama or like secret lair releases or anything like that because we like to keep it on topic. We like to talk about strategy, things that are going to make you better. But this is an important enough announcement. We thought that it, you know, says enough about the game we enjoy, says enough about the community of content creators that we are somehow a part of. We thought we should just kind of talk about this and, you know, give not any takes or anything like that, but to sort of talk about it and what it means to perhaps means to magic on the whole. And so SCG through their president, Pete uh, Hoofling made an announcement that they were effectively ending competitive focused articles and videos, and that they were ending the employment of most of their writers and content creators on SCG by the end of February. And the reasons that were stated were that the overall effectiveness of the publishing of such content has decreased due to the lack of in-person events, uh, Watsi reducing their investment in competitive MTG play, and the concept of being a professional Magic player altogether. And then uh, other situations like COVID, and I think they basically say other situations, I think they mean COVID, that our content creators, editorial team, and companies simply have no control over. The result of that is that the content publishing division lost a substantial amount of money in each of the last two years. And what does that mean for the future? That they're going to be debuting some new article series covering a variety of non-strategic or tournament-related topics, uh, make all their content free again, and so there's no more paywall. But unfortunately, that affects a lot of people. And so a number of authors versus live hosts, fellow podcast creator, former guests on the dive down, they were all speaking up on Twitter about no longer being with SEG come March, including Ari Lax. Uh, he stated that Dominaria's judgment wouldn't be an SEG sponsored podcast after February. Brian Gottlieb and Jerry T of Arena Decklist Pod, Todd Anderson, um, Ross mentioned that he's not going to be doing content with SCG uh, and Corey B and Ross therefore are no longer going to be doing versus live Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa is no longer doing content Brad Nelson I, if I missed anyone I apologize but basically they just laid off all of their competitively focused content creators by and large so first off your general feelings on this besides it sucks. Uh, I mean, it, I, is, I, is <laughs> I there like anything beyond just, that? <laughs> I can elaborate on how it sucks. <laughs> yeah, go off. What are you thinking? Uh, I, I feel like this is a reflection on a lot of the, like the direction we're taking magic, uh, kind of thing that we've been seeing, you know, they mentioned the Watsi's investment in, in competitive play going down. And I know that, you know, games change, things change, but I, I feel like a lot of this, is a lot of me hearing it's not the game isn't for me like and i I say that not as like representation of everyone just me and that like that sucks like that feels bad that's sad like these are players uh, content creators who i respect who it's like man like you know to do like what jerry t did or what you know any of them are doing is like Man, now that, that that's so cool. I wanted to be able to do that, and it's just hey, that that door. Not only did it shut for them, it's a representation of that door is now forever shut for anyone else who wanted to do it. Yeah, it's a rough realization. It might not be forever. Like 
it, it was pretty clear that these changes at SCG were financial in nature. Whether or not SCG content comes back as we know it, like that's obviously up in the air. But if there's an appetite and and for this type of material, people that people are willing to pay for and are clicking on, and and you know, there's other websites that might be able to host some of these writers. Channel Fireball comes to mind. Like, I, if I was Channel Fireball, I would like start aggressively making phone calls to Brad Nelson and PV and a lot of other a lot of the other amazing content creators at Star City Games to try to get them into the fold because there's still other places to publish material, and I think that there's a lot of value in that, especially. The closer you are to magic rather than like, you know, someone that's just like IGN or like just writing games content that is kind of more broad. I mean, that's that's I don't mean to try to pop that bubble, which I, I'd like to agree with. But you said there's a lot of value there. And what SEG is saying is that the, right now there's not like I mean, that could be that could be a number of factors in there. One, I think that that indicates that they were hopefully paying their writers a reasonable rate for what they do. And if there's one thing I appreciate is people getting paid their value. And so if SCG was, was more interested in not doing content than underpaying or trying to scrap it to, you know, be bare bones or something like that, I do appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, then you don't, then these people who all had gainful employment doing content creation um, effectively being laid off and, and if the market isn't there to to support this creation, then that stinks. And I, I really would like to live in a world of magic where there's enough people and there's enough appetite who want to read these awesome articles. Like these people are good writers. I mean, they're some of the the best writers of content of for magic content on the on the net. And and like you said, Stan, I hope that there are other outlets for people who are um, willing to say you know, I value this. And because I value this, I will find the audience who also values this and we will make it monetarily worthwhile to, to provide that, to provide that platform. And I hope that that exists if, if not now, then in the, in the future again. Doesn't it kind of feel like this is maybe indicative of the nature of magic players and magic consumption in general where as the game grows and things like arena and being able to play like best of one games on your phone make magic games on average a little bit more passive less thoughtful you're more incentivized to go to sites great sites that i use like goldfish and mtg arena zone to just like find a quick deck list import it copy and paste play some games at your dailies and then just move on as opposed to like with the lack of high level competition, actually improve yourself as a player, go deep in a strategy and like do the thing that modern players who are super enfranchised and just kind of like keep honing this format and honing their favorite strategies tend to do. And I'm not saying this is a calculated decision on Wasi's part. Of course not. Like they want to have as many players as possible, but as the game trends more bite-sized, you can't necessarily support or, or, or expect to have a community of people who want to consume like more long form content like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, there's a bunch of causes for stuff like this, right? Like, I mean, we do have COVID that has made large gatherings unsafe for a couple of years, but I think, which is a huge deal. I mean, don't, I'm not trying to, to sugarcoat that by any means, but I, 
I do think that, like you're saying, Stan, is that, and Watsi has been saying this too, is that the the player base and the way that people engage with the game has has been changing. And it's has there ever has has competitive magic ever truly been profitable for many people involved? And I'm I'm not sure that's the case. That it's been something that has been a a, a great way to make a ton of money for anyone or any company. And apparent, but apparently for SEG it was, and until a few years ago, that doing this type of content support and and running the broadcast and things like that was made sense financially. But um, I think that this does indicate and and is definitely showing that the way Watsi is is pushing the game and the way that people are engaging with the game is becoming uh, less competitive and kind of a, a larger tent of, of players. What what are you thinking about that, Gabe? I just keep thinking about how when I was younger, they wasn't, wasn't magic on ESPN, right? Like that, that was a thing at one time where it was like, yeah, the nineties, like, I mean, it was a novelty then, right? Like, Hey, competitive card gaming, this is a thing. Right. And, and that's, that's so weird. Cause it seems like they would have been on top of that, on top of getting into the whole like esport thing and, and making it glamorous. You know, I, I remember watching like BlizzCons and like I used to be pretty into StarCraft and like watching those tournaments and it's like, you know, such, there was such dazzle to it. It it seemed like so romanticized, like, Hey, like this is, this is this awesome thing. Everyone can get into this. Like, and, 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 and this is the height of, of competitive play. And, you know, I, I love all that stuff and, and to see that, going away from magic and you know maybe not forever maybe maybe that's that's not true but it it just uh especially me as a player like hey like this is what i like right like all those tiny edges we talked about and like trying to play a challenge like i don't i don't get to do that stuff if i go play commander with my friends right like it's just not i mean you can do it but it doesn't matter right and and having all those those tiny decisions matters like that like that that's the part of magic that i sink my teeth into and of course you're right i am one of those enfranchised modern players who's trying to hone decks and the format etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah I, I i hear you on that for sure and like it's i i feel like the the co the covid thing is almost like that interrupted such momentum. It interrupted the momentum of pioneer and interrupted the momentum of, of tournament play. And I think it's the type of thing where when you interrupt that and the digital replacements for it were, were so unsatisfactory for a variety of reasons that it sort of like took all the wind out of the competitive sales altogether. And then, you know, Watsy sort of gutting the, the gold platinum pro levels and things like that. Then there's just, when when there's not even a carrot to chase, whether that's even showing up for a tournament, like the carrot for you know Stan and myself is like let's make day two, and the carrot for people who are better than us is I'm gonna top eight or I'm gonna cash right, and when you when when all carrots are gone, then the sort of it sort of it starves the horse, and then we're we're doing things like you know we're we're playing our leagues, we're playing our our, our Magic the Gathering online events, or grinding for Mythic on Arena something like that to try to chase that same concept and it's just not quite there or it's, it's there in a different way right it's 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 just a different way for people to try to have the same type of engagement but it just can't it's not it's not supporting content creators unfortunately right 
Um, there's or there's it's not supporting the same content creators in the same ecosystem as before. Um, so I think that's that's probably a safer thing to say. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I I think all we can really do is hold out hope that some of the best minds at at Star City find another place to to share their wealth of information if that's what they want to do. And you know, I I can speak from just a very brief bit of experience. I used to work in a media company where one day we showed up to work and a bunch of people just got laid off and it's a huge shell shock. But eventually, like if if you like doing the work, you find opportunities to to keep going. And the news came out today and it really sucks. And I think a lot of people are are disappointed and, and maybe even heartbroken, both from the creator or the consumer side. But hopefully, you know, this isn't necessarily the the last days of, of, of good high quality MTG content and the people who still are passionate about it are going to find ways to, to keep producing it as, as the game hopefully grows and evolves. And we won't just be the old guard of boomers who just, you know, want to find ways to beat Tarmogoyf <laughs> by any means necessary. And yeah, if, if you're a content creator out there, I know, I know we're, we're small time, right? If, but if you're a content creator out there and you want to reach out about coordinating with us or you know guest spotting on the pod, if you've been with us before and want to come back, anything like that, uh, reach out to any one of us in any way that you want to, and, and we'll try to provide any kind of guidance. Like if you if you've never started a Patreon before, and you're like, how the heck does this work? What what kind of things do I need to think about? Reach out to us. We've been doing it for a few years now, and we can provide moderate levels of uh, advice on that. So. You know we're uh, we're here for you. That includes you, Gabe. Like if you ever need us for anything, pep talk. All right, all right. Yeah, next time a, I will let you rub. know. It's like next Tuesday. I'm on the dive down. <laughs> all right, we are approaching time. Before we go, you know, you are a guest who basically needs no introduction. But where can people find you? You know, maybe they've heard the name Spider Space. They've seen your your empty Joe handle appear in in tournament results do you share your information elsewhere do you have a a magic podcast where people can hear you talk more frequently what a what a beautiful concept that seems like something i should pursue uh (laughs) (laughs) maybe not yeah tell you what maybe not uh actually from what we've all been talking about uh Um, yeah, you can you can find me streaming occasionally. Uh, Spider Space on Twitch. Uh, you can find usually it's just tournament winnings or the occasional post on on Twitter, and that's Spider Space MTG on Twitter. And then I also have a podcast with Evros and F Pabluj. Uh, I he always spells it for people. I'm not gonna do that. It, it just I'm just not going to do it, <laughs> uh, but it's called Mishra's Babble, and we're actually looking at, at coming back. We, we were taking a bit of a break uh, just due to some some various personal things, but uh, we're, we're looking at putting out an episode. going to record this Friday. It's coming Friday, so it's, it's in the works. All right. Excited to have you back in the podcast game. I've, I've missed Mishra's Babble. I know you've been on a brief hiatus since December, and... You were one of my favorite shows to listen to, so I'm excited to to get back into the swing of things with you guys. Well, thank you. Good thing Bobble didn't get banned, or else you'd have to rebrand. <laughs> you already have the stationery and the coffee mugs. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Amulet Titans. I mean, if they banned Luris, Bobble still exists, right? Like it's out there. <laughs> technically, it, it technically exists. Yeah. 
All right, that wraps up this week's show. Gabe, thank you again for joining us. Kind of on short notice, but we figured it would be really fun having someone with your experience to to talk about all the news of the day. And I didn't even realize you actually finished second until after I asked you to come on. I I, I knew you'd been playing and I was like, oh, let's let's see what, what Spider's been up to lately. Oh, he just reached the finals of the challenge. I, that's timely. So look, look at that. Staying relevant, even when you don't need to. Everyone else out there listening to this show, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they come out on all of your favorite podcast distribution apps and services. And if you use Apple Podcasts, you can even leave us a rating and review. And you can now leave ratings on Spotify. Would love for you to do that as well. Oh man, the Spotify folks came out in force. Thank you for all those reviews. I don't think they do anything but they make me feel good. They don't hurt. They definitely don't hurt us, the reader. If you'd also like to submit a question to our podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com. You can even leave an audio message that could appear on a future episode of the show over at podinboxcom slash the dive down number of ways to support the show, including joining our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can, of course, support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. If you use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022, you will get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And you can also use the promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022 for all of your hair care and grooming needs over at Barrister and Man. Get 15% off your first Barrister and Man order. Promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022. That's Barrister and Man. All of your grooming, soaps, what have yous. <laughs> As always, special thanks to the bands Nora and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and be a better Magic player. You owe it to yourself and us. Mm-hmm.